Thank you all for being here today for this um, New Moon Meditation meeting. Today is January 10th, 2024, and we're glad to have all of you here. We have a nice, uh, cozy crowd here at our headquarters in New York City, and we have uh, many more of us joining online, so welcome. So we meet at the time of the New Moon um, to take part in a group meditation to strengthen the hand of the new group of world servers, and we also take time at these meetings to discuss um, issues of special importance to humanity's psychological and spiritual evolution. And so the new moon is the time of the lower interlude in the monthly cycle. The full moon is the, the higher interlude. And so while the full moon is a time of, we could say, like high spiritual contact, a vertical alignment and an abstraction in a way, the new moon is a time to bring that energy down and to express it horizontally in service to our fellow human beings and, of course, to our animal and plant and to the, to the planetary life itself. And so the new moon is a time of, of silence. Um, it's a time of preparation. And it's also a time of initiation. And therefore, it's also very much associated with the will in that sense. And so at the full moon... Um, the will has more to do with the will in abstraction. Whereas the new moon, we say this is like the will in operation or the will, the spiritual will as it works through the human being out in service towards the fulfillment of the divine plan. I welcome. And so our work at the new moon, as I said, takes a special focus on the new group of world servers. And the new group of world services, um, the, the name we give to this worldwide group of men and women all throughout the world who are united by their spiritual aspiration to uplift humanity and to see the furtherance of spiritual evolution through all kingdoms in nature. And so this group is unique in that it's united only by this inner spiritual objective. Um, it has no dogma or doctrine or outer organization. Its members go across every marker of normal human diversity. Um, across every nation, across every both sexes, across um, all religions, across every ideological spectrum there is. Members of this group will be found working for the betterment and the upliftment of of all of all beings. And theirs is the special task to uphold the vision, to light the way forward, and to aid in the implementation of the plan of evolution. And so this plan, um, this plan is, uh, in one sense, we could say it's a great spiritual directive. Um, it embodies a great purpose, the purpose of a great life, the purpose of our planetary life, which in esotericism we call the planetary logos. And so humanity is definitely a part of our planetary life. I think many people will definitely accept that. Um, and so... What that means, though, is that what follows from that is that we operate within the will or within the sphere of this great, this great cosmic being who's been ever since is beyond what we can imagine. And so our special task, and we could say our responsibility as humanity, is to see through what little we can of the great intention or spiritual intention of this great life. So that's our special privilege as well as our responsibility. And so with this in mind, today's meeting will take a focus on the theme of truth, um, an important theme for our times. So spiritual truth, mundane truth, and we'll discuss um, specifically 
what sort of guidance the perennial philosophy, which is also known as the ageless wisdom, can offer us towards um, addressing the crises of truth being faced today on many levels. And so before we begin that, um, I'd like us to take just a moment to um, take a moment of alignment and of um, dedicated um, visualization and sound together the mantra of unification. And so those of us who are here will have the cards uh, with the text, and those of you online will have a, should appear on the PowerPoint. So we'll just take a moment of alignment, and we'll sound the mantra, and then we'll sound the sacred word, the Om. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve, and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life, and all events, and bring to light the love that underlies the happiness of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail let all people love. Thank you all. Bit of a slip of the tongue there. I said the happiness of the time rather than the happenings of the time. So perhaps we could just, uh, perhaps it's good we started on a note of optimism, I guess, as we speak about this, um, you know, somewhat difficult theme today. Um, so as I said, the central focus of, so I also wanted to preface and just say, uh, the way the meetings, these meetings are structured is, you know, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to share a few thoughts on the theme and then we'll move into a meditation. And then after that, there's a period, probably hopefully like around 20 minutes for discussion. And so that's a time when everybody who's uh, attending, whether you're here or online, and you can share your thoughts if you'd like. Of course, it's not compulsory, but we'd love to hear from you if you have anything to sh- anything to share. Um, and so this uh, this meeting is on the theme of truth. And, um, you know, reflecting on this theme immediately brings up many questions. I think the first, of course, being what is truth? You know, how do you define it? Um, is it absolute or is it relative? And so, you know, that brings up 
when you start questioning or thinking about relative truth, well, you know, what measure of this, you know, absoluteness can be cognized by the human mind. And so, you know, what is really the difference between relative and absolute truth? Is is there even such a thing as relative truth? Because I'm sure some people would think, well, something's either true or it isn't, you know, and so... um, Related to that is also the question, of course, you know, what role should truth be playing in our society today by the apprehension of, 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 um, or we could say perhaps even an alignment with truth. We could speak a bit about that way as well. You know, what role should truth be playing in our civilization, um, today? And so esoteric philosophy has a lot to offer on this question of truth, this multifaceted question of truth. And I think it really provides a framework for understanding both absolute truth um, or ultimate truth, which is, you know, those ultimate truths about the nature of reality, um, as well, as well as relative or conditioned truth, which is you know, that measure of the absolute truth, which can potentially be cognized by the human mind and therefore able to condition human civilization. And so esoteric philosophy is a, a body of knowledge and thinking which combines, um, science, religion, and philosophy and seeks to understand the human being, um, the divinity, both imminent and transcendent, as well as the nature of the cosmos and of natural and spiritual laws. And so in terms of um, Western philosophical terminology, um, Helena Blavatsky, who's one of the foremost exponents of this doctrine, uh, at least in our, in our, in our age, um, said that if this had to be put in Western philosophical terms, the esoteric philosophy would be a form of what she, what's called objective idealism, which was first propounded at least in the West by Plato. And so platonic idealism or objective idealism basically states that everything in the material world is based upon a higher world of perfect forms. Um, and that, um, Material reality or manifested reality is really just an imitation or a reflection of this higher world. Those of us who have studied esotericism, this is probably a concept which is pretty familiar to us. Um, but I'd like to juxtapose this for just a moment with um, another ism, um, very similar, called subjective idealism or analytic idealism, which is an increasingly popular philosophical position um, held today. And this position is very similar to objective idealism in that it states that, you know, the mind or consciousness or this world of form, whatever you want to call it, um, produces the material world. Um, but it says that this material world is actually non-existent. So it's like a hologram or uh, a phantasm or a projection. It is entirely a result of these higher subjective processes, but in and of itself has no real substance. And, and so this position is becoming increasingly popular today amongst, uh, I would say like a very like anti-materialist camp. And I don't, of course, we can only theorize as to why, but sort of my theory is that there's a lot of more and more intellectual people awakening today. And this sort of spiritual awakening is, is causing them to look for more, um, more philosophically robust ways of describing and making sense of this sort of revelation, sort of revelation of the world. And I think, a lot of the thought forms of the New Age movement of the 20th century, they're finding sort of insufficient uh, for what they want to describe. And so I'm sort of bringing this up because I want to emphasize that esoteric philosophy definitely does believe in the um, reality of matter, 
just as much as it believes in spirit and the consciousness which unites them. And so the main point here is that while subjective idealism definitely denies materialism altogether, um, esoteric philosophy and objective idealists afford for a relative reality on any and all of the various planes of the manifested world. And so there, there definitely is this belief that maya or illusion pervades everything. They call this maha maya. Um, however, um, esoteric philosophy believes that all that is contained on any and every plane is just as real as the self which perceives it. And so th- this, this is, this is important, I think, because it affords for a, among, for many reasons, but it affords for a, a doctrine of relative degrees of enlightenment, increasing degrees of enlightenment. And so rather than just an ultimate nirvana, there's, there's a, there's, a, there's an enlightenment, stage of enlightenment, which itself is a jumping off point for an even higher stage, which is, the revelation of higher and higher spheres or planes of truth, at which point that which was left behind is then considered, you know, il- relatively elusive. And so we have this, therefore, this doctrine of relative degrees of truth. But one of the fundamental and actually the first proposition of the, we call the secret doctrine, which is the major um, text we look to when we're talking about esoteric philosophy is that there is one absolute and immutable principle in the universe, which is the universe, which only when manifested becomes dual spirit and matter. And so both spirit and matter are actually opposite poles or aspects of this absolute. Uh, and they appear only different um, to our perception. And so esoteric philosophy is therefore very much consistent with Advaita Vedanta, which is the non-dualist school of ancient Indian philosophy. Um, which claims that there's only one fundamental reality in the world. This is sort of an oversimplification, but there's only one ultimate reality in the world, which they call Brahma when speaking about the manifested world of things, or Atma when they're talking about the self, which is the one self. And these two are said to be one. Um, and so it's interesting in that way, esoteric philosophy is almost sort of a meta-theory um, because it has, on the one hand, is non-dualist, you know, this sort of absolute and absolute truth. And at the same time, it also contains these relative, these relative degrees of, of truth on every plane, of reality on every plane. Um, and so, and it, it unites them very well. But there's one other sort of lens through which we can look at the truth when it comes to esoteric philosophy. And that is this, another ism, another philosophical position called a uh, hylozoism. And hylozoism is a theory which posits that all matter is alive. Everything is, everything is alive. So there is no inorganic, inorganic matter in the cosmos. Um, even the atom, um, the smallest building block of, you say, the, the physical world is not only alive, but actually conscious, though its consciousness is so far removed from the human that we can't really comprehend what that means. And so esoteric philosophy says that, um, all matter is alive, both in and of itself. Um, but also alive as it is animated by a superior principle, which it calls the anima mundi or world soul. And um, esotericism recall, um, refers to this doctrine, um, or refers to this under the, the doctrine which it calls the life and the lives. So the capital L life uh, and the lives, obviously lowercase. And there's a quote by Helena Blavatsky I want to share here about matter, which I think is instructive. She says, Matter to the occultist, it must be remembered, 
is that totality of existences. And so she says, matter is that totality of existences in the cosmos, which falls within any of the planes of possible perception. And so to tie this together, we have this, you know, beautiful, very, very beautiful, beautiful because it's so true, um, occult cosmogony, which posits that there's this, you know, there's this one absolute unconditioned reality in its fullness to which no attributes can be applied whatsoever. You can't even say it's omnipotent because there's nothing for it to have power over. You can't even ascribe to it omniscience because there's nothing to perceive. You know, it's not even the creator because there's nothing separate from itself to to be created. And so esoteric cosmogony, you know, by a very particular series of occult and very specific series of occult processes does describe how this absolute, you know, unconditioned fullness becomes, you know, that which creates, which then in turn becomes spirit and matter. And from thence to this whole host of creative intelligences, which make up all the manifested and the unmanifested worlds. And so, you know, at this point of this great diversity of forms, I think the final piece of this puzzle, which I'd like to share today is that the diver- sort of the, the, the diversity of creation at that point is then conditioned by seven great archetypes. So all that is, all that exists is patterned on these seven divine archetypes, which are called the seven principles or the seven rays. And so these seven principles are said to be reflected again and again throughout manifestation in the macrocosm and in the microcosm. And so I think it's this one aspect of the philosophy which really does connect these two sort of levels of analysis or levels of of consideration, the macrocosmic, where we have the absolute, and the microcosmic, which we know very much relates to the to the human. And so what's interesting about these seven archetypes, though, when it comes to our discussion about truth is that um, the whole key to truth in the occult sense is said to be founded on the septenary division of consciousness and of manifested life. And so um, the esoteric philosophy posits that um, there are seven keys by which reality or truth therefore can be known. And this really has two interpretations, you know, because the septenary division of life is the foundation of, of all existence. That means that an understanding of this septenary division um, actually unlocks knowledge, or we could say powers on every plane by a full understanding and a, a deep, a deep understanding of these great secrets of, of mysteries of nature. Um, but it also has a more practical, um, a more practical meaning as well in that this, the statement that there are seven keys by which reality can be understood refers to like seven types of doctrines of sort of human enterprise, we could say. Um, Blavatsky lists them, and I can list them briefly. There's the, for instance, the anthropological key, or the what they call the human key. There's the astronomical key or astrological key by which reality can be known. There's the symbolical, the theological. There's the metrological, which includes numerology as well as geometry. There's the metaphysical key and also the mystical key. And so all these different ways are ways to look at reality itself, to describe reality. But of course, no one of them holds the whole picture. And so in that way, it's sort of like a multifaceted diamond. You know, there's all these, we can only ever see sort of one at a time. And so practically though, I'm going to look at my time 
I think of course I'm going way too long, so I'll try to wrap this up. But um, practically, though, the esoteric philosophy tells us about truth is that unlike other doctrines, um, the esoteric philosophy definitely, as we described, as I've described today, definitely is a doctrine. I'm very, very fully aware of that. But esoteric philosophy in its essence is really beyond doctrine in that it can be regarded as the golden thread which underlies all religions, um, all philosophies, all the different sects um, and philosophies throughout time. And it's said to be not only the golden thread which underlies them, uh, sorry, it's said not only to be a synthesis of all of them, but actually the golden thread which not only underlies them, but actually gave birth to all of them. So in that way, it's sort of like a proto-philosophy of everything. And so what we know about it is, of course, the doctrine which has been expressed for us in our time. I think the doctrine that we do have, though, is is exceptional because it does allow for this sort of synthesis of these different ideologies and tries to map the way between and through all of them. And so what's exceptional about also the the great proponents of this philosophy over time is that the these the, the disciples of this, you know, esoteric disciples, the disciples of this great philosophy are asked not just to pledge allegiance to a doctrine, but they're actually charged with being able to see through the illusion of doctrine itself into the living truth of every ideology and even a form actually itself. And so that's really what they're what they're charged with. And this is very germane to today's crises of truth, which we're seeing largely on an ideological front, I think, in in our world today, is there is this very large ideology, which is very separative, especially in the political and intellectual spheres. Um, at the same time, there is in humanity a growing aspiration to escape from materialism, while at the same time we have a crystallization of these forms. And so there's also wide-scale delusion, and so a dero- an erosion of of truth, in a sense. Not only is there glamour, and, uh, you know, illusion in one sense, but there's also the, perpe- the conscious perpetuation of falsehoods. So there's disinformation happening. And so all these things is really a confluence of factors which make it a really a time of a great dilemma of truth, I would say. And so one final note is that, you know, esoteric philosophy not only offers us this sort of way to make sense of the world, um, but also connected to it is that it is our various schools of training in practical, what we call practical occultism. Or meditation. And the idea of meditation basically is just that it's a way of unification, of making out of the many parts or the basic duality of the human nature, um, you know, one for one to become at one with their soul and thereby to contact the higher world of the soul, to become at one with that higher world of perfect forms, which Plato spoke about, and thereby to become illuminated. And so um, we're told that illumination and the perception of truth are actually synonymous terms. And so, um, to be illuminated really is to be a light bearer in this, this, this affords one a really special and grave, I think, responsibility. And so those of us who are sort of called to the path of truth, um, and who really care about truth and who care about spiritual truth as much as mundane truth, I think can, can keep in mind this this great human potential to to bear the light and to reveal it for others, and really what that means. And I don't have time to go into it now, but perhaps we'll it will come up in our discussion. But you know, it requires really abandoning all of one's beloved glamours, which is much more difficult than it sounds. It requires the relinquishment of pride and attachment, 
it requires really eventually the relinquishment of everything that the personal self holds dear. Um, the cultivation of humility, of dispassion, selflessness requires utter harmlessness and unyielding devotion to the path. And so its rewards though is, you know, worth the effort. Um, the benefits are, you know, the ability to bear the light for others, to reveal the truth, to, to bridge, to heal, to unify in the plane of mind and what we call to become the path so that others might find their way. And so perhaps we can keep that in mind now as we move into our meditation um, to help to strengthen the hand of the new group of world servers, to all those men and women throughout the world who are striving towards betterment. And even though maybe holding different sides of different ideologies and on the world of form opposed to each other in one or other ways, but in essence are actually unified um, by the same golden thread. And so we take a moment of, of, of alignment before we begin. And we come together in group fusion. Sounding the mantra. I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. We recognize our place as a group within the heart center of the group of world servers. And we mentally extend a line of light and energy towards the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart center, to the Christ, the heart of love within the hierarchy, and towards Shambhala where the will of God is known.
fire interlude. We hold the mind focused for a few moments on the planetary role of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity, responding to hierarchical impression, and mediating the planet into existence. Meditation. Reflect on the seat thought. Through the impression and expression of certain great ideas, humanity must be brought to the understanding of the fundamental ideals which will govern the new age. This is the major task of the new group of world servers.
precipitation. Visualize the precipitation of the will to good, the central love throughout the planet, from Shambhala, the planetary heart, the hierarchy, through the Christ, the group of world servers, through all men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world, and finally, through the hearts and minds of the whole human family. Lower interlude. Consider the many ways in which the power of the one life and the love of the one soul are working out in the world through members of the group of world servers, so building the thought form of solution to world problems.
distribution. Sound the great invocation and visualize the irradiation of human consciousness with light and love and power. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. So the floor is now open for discussion. Um, I would say anything is fair game, but we should keep in mind the theme of today's meeting, which is truth. So, you know, that's a pretty broad topic. You know, the thoughts I shared before we meditated weren't really so focused on uh, any sort of mundane issues specifically, but if somebody has something insightful they'd like to share on that, of course, you're more than welcome to do so. Testing, testing. So, um, good evening, everyone. I have actually tattoo on my arm. This is from the secret doctrine. Uh, there's no religion, only truth. So you mentioned, um, the, the word, um, relative. I was thinking of reality. And um, we live in an illusion, but can you decipher the illusion? And that, that's the fun part. That's the, I'm an artist, so I tap into that. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm here. Happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year, yes. yes. Thank you. 
And uh, Kathy, if there's anybody online, you could just let me know and we can unmute them. Okay. There are a few questions um, as well on this sheet, just discussion questions we had in mind. Um, I don't know if we have a slide. Do you have a slide, Kathy? Yeah, okay, great. So I'll just read them. So the first one is, how do you reconcile the advice that one should depend on um, one's own discrimination as the final and only authority of truth with the very apparent limitations of the human mind? Um, so how do you reconcile this idea that we have to be our own arbiter of truth? Uh, like discrimination in terms of discernment, so discriminating the true from the false. I don't mean like racial discrimination. So, so my tattoo again. Yeah. And um, you mentioned duality and so forth. Religion, religion, like there's one God, there's many gods. It's your perception. Like, like many of us, we don't have a perception. It's, it's we're closed-minded. We don't understand the illusion. We don't understand that we we know that wood comes from trees, but it's it stops right there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And we have to help the planet. We have to repair the planet. And there there are people at work working with the planet, whether it's making shoes and recycling and stuff. Absolutely. So so how do we apply ourselves? You know what I'm saying? Good question. All right, there's a question. Who was it, Kathy? Zian Prim, go ahead. Hi, thank you for your very beautiful... Can you turn the, uh, Kathy, sorry, one sec. Can you turn the volume up, Kathy, all the way on your... Thank you. I tend to whisper when I meditate. And thank you for your very beautiful introduction. I really appreciate the fluidity of... Reality is at the level of the awakened person up to the even is no creator. Um, it's very beautiful. I do wonder with that, that there is only creation as we are in it. How do you apply the term God? Uh, the question was, how do you, what does the term God mean, basically? Yes. How do you yeah. apply it if there's only creation? Well, for instance, I mean, um, I'll just probably share what uh, I think basically what the experts on esoteric philosophy say, which is that what the Christians normally refer to as God is really our planetary logos. Actually, it's sort of like the highest we can conceive um, of 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 divinity really as in terms of the creator as our planetary life which is a great cosmic being of incomprehensible beneficence to us and so um god in the sort of christian sense at least is more you know what the christian philosophies refer to as god is is in terms of esoteric philosophy more more related to our our planetary life which is not really the absolute um it definitely does create um, but we know, you know, from the philosophy that the even the planet itself has a whole web of ma- macrocosmic relationships, and it is also itself in process of evolution, which affects all lives upon it. 
to me, God is always just a relative term um, philosophically. Um, but I think it generally refers to something which is like sort of the most that the human mind can really practically comprehend. Maybe I don't, I don't know. I'm sure other people have ideas about that. Okay. Thank you for that. I just wondered why this, this in this philosophy, we are still even using the term God. If it's just a, a bridge, basically, I think that's what you're referring to. Thank you. Just, hey, just go ahead. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, thank, Kathy, thank could you turn you. the the laptop a little bit so it's pointing towards us? Thanks, that'd be better. Thank you. Yeah, good. Okay, my comment just refers to the first question about reconciling that advice, and I think that my my sense is that we need to develop ourselves as our own instruments of perception and um, really have the ability to accurately perceive uh, layers of emerging truth. And so I I see that that's very, very good advice because, you know, that's part of the work of becoming a, uh, an accomplished new world server is understanding that and honing it through meditation and practice and things like that. So that's the only comment I wanted to make. Thank you. That's a good comment. I totally agree. Actually, I think both Juiced and the previous speaker's comments could sort of be synthesized in this way because the first speaker was talking about, well, how do you define God? If there is creation, then there must be a creator or some kind of causal level that manifests that creation. And in terms of what Juiced was saying, to me, um, the discrimination and the uh, development of our perception is another term for appreciation, which has to do with uh, our widening or deepening perception and the layers of reality that are revealed to us through that process. And through that, we get closer to that causal level to perceive that which is being created from the level of the creator. just in regards to the truth to like understand the truth it probably takes like detachment because as long as you have like your own past experiences or wherever you're gonna see the truth from your point of view and you're gonna see it from different point of view change it so it's better to detach and let it flow through you I agree. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Okay. I was just going to say that really quick. I'm sorry. I forgot your name already. 
Stephanie, yeah, what Stephanie just said really does relate to our second question, which perhaps is what you were reflecting on, but, and I hadn't read it, but this idea that, you know, what does the, what role does the cultivation of selflessness play in the pursuit of illumination? I mean, that's exactly what you described. I think that detachment really being necessary and key there. So yeah, we can go to David then. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I posted in the chat box a quote by Alice Bailey that's helped me a lot. Uh, Let reality govern my every thought and truth be the master of my life. Uh, it's from Keys on White Magic, page 239. I found this helpful when my thoughts were just swimming around and I don't know the truth. And I just thought I'd share this with everybody. Thank you, David. Is it on? Yeah, it's on, it's on. Thank you, Michael. Some thoughts that are very profound that are shared. I don't know if I have anything profound to share. But I I I could state something related to your focus at the end there on the septinate nature of all existence. And that really brings it home to me of the relative nature of truth since there are seven primary different ways in which truth can be approached from our human kingdom through the hierarchical or middle kingdom and then all the way up until the highest kingdom of nature. I was just reading last night actually that the Seven spirits before the throne of God are each representations of the sevenfold aspect of the solar, the planetary logos, you know. So his energy that he takes in from planetary lives and the sun and extraplanetary lives is distributed through seven great beings. And through that means the energies are stepped down to life forms and each one of those different ray types is necessarily colored by other ray energies and so each each of us is a multifaceted being with many colors and many sounds and part of the experiment and experience of the human kingdom is to understand that we all have a a piece of a great puzzle, a mosaic. That's kind of that's really beautiful. Yeah, if you want to read a few. There's a few brief comments here that are quite striking just okay can just so you can hear you too yeah okay um 
From glorious St. John, we read, the beginning of truth is to tell yourself the truth, always, harder than it seems. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and then from Eduardo, we have, it's highly significant that Christ, being asked, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, quod veritas, what is the truth, Christ was asked, and he remained silent. Uh, esoteric, uh, Ginny writes, esoteric philosophy is an evolving discipline that recognizes all knowledge is temporary. Wisdom endures. Knowledge evolves. From this perspective, truth at any given moment is revealed by the state of consciousness in the eyes of the beholder. I think that's I think that's enough. Yeah, we could just keep going with the day, and it is sort of coming up now on seven p.m. Um, I think we're just getting going, but it is seven, so there's a whole other a whole other um, aspects of this question we could really start to dive into. But alas, uh, I don't think we will have the time. Any final thoughts anybody would like to share before we close? So we're so yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, like I know we're out, we're running out of time. Maybe it's a personal question. Can you get into the triangles? Oh, the triangles work. Yes. You want me to talk about it or? Oh yeah. So absolutely. Um, I mean the the triangles work as an as a as a as a project of the Lucis Trust. Um, and what triangles is? It's a really simple meditation visualization exercise where three people agree to join and thought each day, and to form a triangle in consciousness. The idea is that these three people link their triangle with a whole network of triangles surrounding the globe. They send a great invocation and circulate light and goodwill across the planet, uplifting human consciousness. So it's a means of subjectively, um, subjective service. It's a means of, what do they call that? Subtle subtle service through the power of thought. Um, and so if anybody's interested in this very simple but powerful um, activity, you can, um, you know, we can talk afterward because we're right here. Uh, if you're online, you can go to triangles.org and there's more information there. And of course, you can always call us or email us uh, if you have any questions about that work. There is also a webinar on the second Tuesday of every month. Um, more information can be found on our website about the triangles work. So anybody's welcome to join. Uh, and you don't need to know your triangles partners. and You don't need to link up at the same time every day. It's a very subjective exercise. So, yeah, I mean, that's another whole perspective on truth as well. It's just like purely, you know, another question is this purely subjective activity. You know, how does that help to strengthen human expression and human perception of truth in the world just by illuminating human consciousness? It shines light. I know during the meditation myself personally, I sense a sort of sobering and like clarity of thought that comes in. And to me, that's like how the subjective process works. It's like, it's not like necessarily comes from the outside. It's just like, oh, things are more clear. It's like putting on a good pair of glasses, you know, or turning on a light switch. It's just nothing around you changes. It's just your perception is suddenly becomes easier. You know, it's like almost a weight being lifted, a veil being lifted. And so we can imagine the whole group of world servers 
the triangles workers are just only one, you know, one section of that much larger group. Um, just gradually lifting this veil. And I think it's so gradual people don't really lift it. But if you really compare, like say where human consciousness is, ugh, where human consciousness is today compared to like the 1990s, I mean, our whole perception of materialism is different. I mean, you could say, well, there's technology, there's, you know, my own personal changes during that time that leads to the, but I think really like, just if you look at the trend of human thinking, at least in the West, at least in the States, it's like night and day. I mean, there's just really significant changes going on and we don't notice it day to day, but there's definitely a veil being lifted, you know, a light pouring in and it's, yeah, so... Thank you all so much for being here. I'm so grateful for everybody who came in person to, you know, support the physical anchoring of the work. And also for those of you online who joined as well, it really helps to have a, such a large, how many are there online, Kathy? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's so great that we had that many people joining in. So thank you all. And um, some announcements. Do we have an announcement slide? Um, the next Full moon meeting is the full moon of Aquarius on January 24th, 6 p.m. And we have the next new moon after that will be February 9th at 6 p.m. Um, we also have the exact time of the new moon tomorrow morning. I think it's at 6 something um, Eastern time. I don't have the time in front of me, but um, if you all would like to join in and just like hold that moment as a, as a, as a period of alignment and it a really intense spiritual alignment. You can, you know, connect with the worldwide group during that time if you'd like. Um, I can just grab the time really quick. It's right over here, but it is actually um, six fifty-seven a.m. Eastern time. So, thank you all and good evening.